Hey everybody, welcome to the American Songwriter Podcast Network. This is All Heart with Paul Cardall. Lift up your weary eyes This world can be unkind Don't let them define you Child of God Tomorrow breathes in you Hello everybody, welcome to All Heart. I'm Paul Cardall. I want to thank you for listening week after week to these podcasts. We've had some incredible guests. Thompson Square, you know, Jonathan Rumi who plays Jesus from The Chosen, we get a chance to listen to some of the most interesting people on this podcast. They have the biggest hearts. They are using their gifts to make the world better. You know, we don't always have celebrities. We had Cheryl Cardall, my sister-in-law. She's an expert on parenting. And she offered such solid advice, particularly in our day and age when we're trying to figure out what's going on. She had solid advice to offer up for parents in raising children. And today we're going to talk about addiction recovery. We have things in our lives that we want to overcome. We want to conquer. We want to get rid of these addictions. They seem to have been plaguing us for a very long time. Is full recovery even possible? My guest, Ben Fuller, is a rising star in the music industry. He is so he has so much energy and it's so much fun to be with him and talk to him. You're really going to benefit from what he has to say. He's been down that dark path of full addiction and he is now coming out of that on the full end and he is going to share with us his story and provide principles of what he did that we can do if we have an open mind. You always have to have an open mind to investigate the possibilities of how to improve our lives. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Mr. Ben Fuller. I'm originally from a small town called Weathersfield, Vermont. And um, it's, yeah, it's one of those towns where you, you, you drive and everybody's like, you know, everybody knows everybody and, and it's a really, um, beautiful place. Vermont is the green mountain state, you know, and it's, it's, um, people go there to vacation. A lot of people have second, third homes there. Um, the skiing, obviously snowmobiling, snowshoeing, like it's a, it's a beautiful place. And, um, but 2% Christian. Well, it's interesting you say that because that is originally where the Methodist headquarters from England was, was in Vermont in the early 18th uh, late 18th century, early 19th century. So wow. all, the, all the revivals, all the the second great awakening happened all through Vermont. That's and, hard to believe. If you, if you go, <laughs> if you go up there, Paul, you know, and it's like, it, it's when I come home, I bring as much Jesus with me as possible. But you know, it's funny. I've got some old buddies that are like, um, you know, and I walk into a place or something I haven't been in a while and, here comes Jesus. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> you know, and I'm kind of like, and before it, it upset me, but now all of a sudden I'm just like, you betcha, you know, so they can see that change in me. And, uh, it, it's, I'm thankful. Jesus attracted the outcasts, the misfits, the people that were shamed, that were considered unworthy, you know, musicians. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, all the while you're talking, I'm kind of like, <laughs> you know, like, that's me. That's me. Pick me. Um, I yeah. found that. And I think that's the coolest thing. You know what really helped me um, discover? I mean, I don't want to jump in too fast, but I, I mean, I do also. Uh, but The Chosen really helped me. That's that's helped so many people. It's amazing yeah. the impact Dallas yeah. production is having. Well, let's yeah. before we get to that. Let's back up. Yeah, you got Vermont. You're growing up there. What what was your family life like? Was it a religious home? What what was it? Uh, family life was. Um, we grew up on. My sister and I grew up on a uh, small dairy farm, and uh, I guess pretty good sized dairy farm for the area, but. Um, we had about 160 or so Holsteins and um, my dad started in 1977, bought his first cows when he was 19 years old and just knew like he wanted to be a farmer. He wanted to be a dairy farmer. And um, the respect I have for him is incredible. And just for going out and doing something, people told him, you know, yeah, you're crazy. That's silly. You're going to start a herd and do this. And um, you know, and he sold milk to uh, companies like hood uh, like hood, hood milk and stuff. And so it's really, really cool how he built and grew. And between owning and leasing, I believe that we had about 240 acres. Um, and uh, we did a hundred acres of corn, uh, cow corn. And we had like 75 or 80 acres of hay fields and uh, for baling hay and everything. But growing up was uh, my sister kind of did her own thing. And uh, she loved you know, dance and gymnastics and everything non-farm related pretty much. <laughs> um, so that left me and that left me and dad. Cause they had you uh, working. You had to get up early, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that left me and dad, my mom, um, God bless my mom. She's been a first grade school teacher for like 40 years and she just loves the kiddos. And so she's got such a heart for little kids. And Did your dad want you to take over the farm prior to the yeah. change? Yeah, he sure did. I remember him talking to me about it and um, he, yeah, he wanted so badly for me to, I think there was a, there was a time period where he really wanted me to take over. And, um, you know, I remember feeling bad, like dad, I don't know how to say this, but this isn't my, this isn't my dream. This isn't my life. Um, and I quickly saw the struggles that he went through, the trials, the, the problems, the bills, um, picking and choosing on what to pay for and everything. It's just like, is this really how life is? Is this really what it is? His love for the farm is, is like no other. And that's what kept him going. Um, it wasn't the money, obviously. It wasn't any of that stuff. It was just simply his love for the cattle and, um, and feeding people. And, and, and uh, you know, I, but I watched the struggle and it was tough and there were – but, but they gave me everything that I needed. You know, I always had new clothes. I always had, you know, new boots or, you know, whatever it was like, they always made it work. Um, but I think the struggles really, really inside of me, was just like, oh my gosh, like this is really, really tough. I need to do something that's going to make some money. Um, and it just, it wasn't in my heart, you know, to take over. Right. And so music so I'm, I'm, I'm so, so let's get on to that, Paul. I am so smart that I decided, you know, so no, um, I went to college for, uh, land, landscape design and I, I got a degree there and, and, uh, at a small college in Vermont and, um, really hands-on. And I got a job right after I graduated working for an ar architecture firm 
and I loved it. It was great. I mean, I, I, uh, built stone walls for the better part of 15 years and my, my, um, you know, uh, I guess the trade was, uh, dry laid stone masonry. So no mortar, no concrete. And, you know, all the stones just, they fit together and they puzzle piece yeah. together. And, it's like the um, Scottish walls. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like those. Um, and I've never seen them in person, but someday hopefully I can go and, so yeah, that that's really, and all of a sudden, and they paid, you know, it was like, I got paid really good for it. And, um, my back's taken a bit of a toll, but, uh, I, I love the hard work and, um, to stand back and see a section of stone wall like that after the end of a long day is just like the proof is in the pudding. Like there it is, there it stands. And, you know, for hopefully a hundred years or more, you know, it'll stay there. Well, it's amazing so, when you create something that never existed before. And I think it was, uh, Robert Kennedy that says we need people to dream of things that never existed to create things that never existed. So when, yeah. whether it's a wall or a song or something, that's, what's amazing is when you look back and go, I made that. I made yeah. that. Yeah. 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 It's really, really beautiful. Yeah. So, so music, when did music, uh, you know, obviously if you're on a farm, you're a Willie Nelson fan and a John Cougar Mellencamp fan for the farm aids. Yeah, absolutely. My dad's a big, yeah, my dad's a big advocator of all that stuff, of course. And, um, I guess I grew up listening to, um, like Vince Gill and Steve Warner and, uh, my dad was a bit on that softer side. Um, and, you know, it wasn't the Merle and, and Hank and all that stuff that I'm, you know, hearing down here when I come down here, it's like, yeah. like, bro, like, don't you know that Merle, Merle song? And I'm like, no, I, I really don't. And, and, and it's like, what do you mean you don't know that? And it's like, dude, I'm sorry. I don't know that Merle song. Like, and it's like, dude, everybody knows. That. And it's like, well, I didn't grow up with it. Sorry. Um, you better learn it. Uh, you know, so I, like, yeah, I found out really quickly. Murphy. How, how much I differ. Yeah. I found out really differently how much I, I differed, um, with my country music, but, um, yeah, I got, um, uh, all the while I didn't realize like, um, I got involved with music in college and I picked up a guitar for the first time. And, um, I had a couple of buddies that lived on the dairy farm floor and they, I was on the, over on the landscape wing and they were on the dairy floor and, so I'd sneak over to the dairy floor cause we got along so well. And, um, yeah, they taught me, they taught me the, the all too well-known phrase of three chords and the truth. And just kind of like, here you go, man. Like you can play this 20 something songs. Here you go with just these three chords. I'm like, really? And pretty soon I started strumming, you know, and it was like, I can do that. You know, I can, okay. And I always could sing. Um, I would sing on, detractors and uh milking cows and stuff but i did it to pass the time and um i wanted to be like i wanted to be like those people like i'd listen to you know um ronnie dunn and kicks brooks and you know and I'm like, i spend most every night beneath the light of a neon mold. you know and i just was like if I could sound like I'm like that. And so countless hours of listening to those little anti-skip CD players, you know, and, uh, out in the farm fields with the little Sony headphones and, you know, the like cheap thin ones that they used to have back in the day. And like the little yeah. foam would fall off, you know, 1499 at uh, radio shack or something like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Put your, your free battery. Uh, if you remember, 
Yes, exactly. And the anti-skip thing was like really in, you know, the CD player was thicker and it just was like a really, it had the shock absorber and whatever. Um, And so I, yeah, I just, I, I, music really was always so prevalent in my life. And then, um, you know, I started playing at bonfires and um, started playing at little campfires and little parties and stuff. But I was drinking a lot. And, um, you know, I also got introduced to cocaine at a pretty young age. Uh, okay. And well, I would. Okay. Before we talk about the cocaine, what was your drink? What was the, what was the drink that you just had to always pour down? It was just, I was such a, I was such a beer guy and I got so much, I got so much um, uh, hassle from so many friends because Vermont has so many beautiful breweries. And Vermont has like so many awesome, like Magic Hat and like all these really like Harpoon and all these amazing breweries that make really good beer. Um, I just never, I never could get into those. They were too heavy and I just love to drink. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess I bounced back and forth between Coors Light and Bud Light. And um, I would just, I would drink a really lot and of them. And um, it's something about a can of beer you know, that just, I'm such a, I, I used to be such a can man. And just, you know, it was like, um, buying a 30 pack and head to a bonfire with my guitar. And like, that was what it was. And I'd get drunk and make up silly songs and funny songs and pick on people that were sitting around the fire. And I, you know, quickly it was like, Hey, Fuller's got his guitar out, dude, come on over. Come on. You know, and it like became this thing where beers in, let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just nothing but noise. You know, it was just a bunch of junk that was coming out. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I really did that for a lot of years and hid, you know, I hid all those issues and stuffed them, buried them deep. And, uh, didn't really, yeah, for a number, number of years, I didn't for 10 years plus, you know, I kind of banged around maybe once a month on the guitar. I don't know. Maybe it was like a couple times a month through summertime and then I'd put it up. And so I never really did much with it. Uh, I had a little Johnson guitar, you know, my roommate bought for me in college for my birthday and like, um, yeah, I think for a lot of years it went, it went, you know, sort of under the radar and I just, I, I always sang, but I never played. So, so let me, let me ask you when, when, how old were you when you had your first drink of alcohol? Um, wow. I think it was, uh, it was honestly in the, uh, I think, is my dad going to watch this thing here? Uh, I, I think, I think it was, I was so terrified of my father. I was completely terrified of my dad. Um, I was terrified of him finding out. I was terrified of, of what he'd do to me when he caught me. Um, I think it was my senior year in high school. I think I waited, you know, and uh, that like all my buddies were drinking pretty heavily before then. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I believe it was my senior year. I think, I think it was a Budweiser and it was my senior year of high school. And I just remembered, I didn't really like the taste of it. And I remember how bitter it was and, um, but it was like, we're all doing it. So I'll just chug a couple and I think three or four beers. I was, I was just out of it, um, uh, on the floor, but, um, it was funny cause Ben's a funny guy. Right. So it was like, he's a joker. He's a, he's a, he loves to make people laugh. Like, so the alcohol for me was just like, Fuller's drunk again. Like he's going to say something funny. Like let's all. And so it just, it became like this, this, this tool. 
You know, like I need the alcohol to be funny and I need the alcohol to, um, fill the emptiness, you know, that I had inside. Did you have, uh, girlfriends at the time? Relationships? Lots of, yeah, lots of, I, I didn't, I didn't also wanted to add that, you know, some of my ex-girlfriends, I, I did name some of the beautiful heifers in the barn after them. I was friends with everybody. I was friends with, with everybody. And I remember at one point trying out for, um, the, the drama club I had tried out for, and people laughed because I was, here. You know, I'm captain of the football team and, you know, and I remember singing for a part and people were kind of like, like we had no idea, but I didn't get the part because I was never involved in drama. And so they're kind of like, this guy's a joke. He, he can sing, but he's a joke. Like he's just trying to do this. Uh, I think it was from Moulin Rouge actually uh, to make fun of. So anyway, I, um, and I was serious. I they, they a bunch of people talked me into trying out for it, but, um, yeah, I, uh, that, that I dated a lot of girls and, um, I treated a lot of them. Um, I thought the best that I could and, 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 and I thought I treated them all really well, but, you know, looking back on it now, it's like, man, you know, the one night stand type of deal things that I went through, it's just a lot. I lost count, you know, and it, I and it really, and you tied that yeah. all into the alcohol and the uh, the cocaine and yeah, all of it, all of it. Yeah, and it just it, it wasn't me, you know. It wasn't who I am and who I am now, certainly. But um, I've, I've I've reached out to a lot of um, a lot of the girls and stuff, and and from way back where I I kind of questioned, hey, I, I think I might have left in a bad way or not treated well. And, you know, I've, all of them have been like, Ben, you know, we, it was, it was our fault too. Like we, we, you know, here we are too. And, and we love you. And, and so it, it's, it's all, it's all good. But um, yeah, I, I definitely would have done some things differently if I knew what I know now. So obviously you started, you were spiraling down because this became an addiction. Mm. You know, just the, you gotta, you gotta drink to be funny. You gotta go to the bonfire. You're gonna, you know, wake up with somebody. Um, mm -hmm. How do you snap out of that? How do you get out of that? There are so many people that get into this cycle of addiction, um, you know, where they think they can control the alcohol, they can control the drugs, they can control uh, their sex life, you know. But it yeah. spirals out of control. How how were you able to do it? And 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 then let's talk about what kind of advice you give for for other people that are in where you were. I thought about um, I thought about like I got this. I'm in control. I'm good. I only do cocaine on the weekends. I I I, I can go buy an eight ball and. You know, like we can go, we can go party on the weekend and that's fine. Um, I, I thought so many times that I was in control, you know, like I've got this, I, I, I'm stronger than, I'm not an addict. I'm stronger than one. Um, I'm Ben Fuller. I, I, I can, a lot of people like me. I'm very friendly. I'm, I can, I can, I can, um, hide it very well. I can hold my composure. I can still go to work. I was working 70 hours a week, 60 hours a week, whatever it depended on the week. I was working really hard. And, um, you know, as a stonemason and, and landscaper, and I'm like, 
I'm good, right? I'm in good physical shape. I'm, I'm working. I can go party on the weekends. It's fine. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, it just, it, it, it hit me like how much I was drinking. I started drinking during the week. Um, and you know, I'd go through 12, there was, there was, there was a pretty, pretty long stretch that, um, I would go through a 12 pack, uh, every night and have to buy, you know, an 18. And then all of a sudden I graduated to an 18 pack. And because I knew I'd drink 12, I knew I'd drink 13 or 14. And then I'd have, I'd have to, a 12 pack wasn't enough. And so I, I, I'd always have beer in the fridge. I'd always have beer in my truck. When I got out of work, I could, I could have a beer or my favorite thing was drinking and driving. I love drinking and driving because it just, I don't know. I would go flying down a road, back road somewhere and yeah. some music. And, and it was like a free freedom, you know, nobody can touch me. Like all the songs, like all the songs say. Oh, it's Afro man. Yeah, exactly. Afro, the rapper says, I drive better drunk than you do sober. Yeah. Wow. Like what a crazy, far-fetched, ridiculous line. Yeah. And yeah. millions of people are buying his album. Yeah. Just because they think that's funny. It's not funny. Yeah, it's, it's not funny. It's no, ironic. It's but you're doing this through the country roads. So at least you're not like, you're not around people. The only person you could really damage is yourself. That's what I tell my, that's what I tell myself. Yeah. That, that, that's what I tell myself to make myself feel better mm-hmm. is at least, you know, there's nobody around and I can go out. I mean, there were so many nights I went off the road, uh, I didn't tell anybody I banged up my truck a little or, you know, I'd get stuck in a ditch. And I, one time I had to, you know, go get a guy with a tractor to pull me out. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know how I didn't, I don't know how I didn't get caught. I, I got, um, and, and I'm, and that's a lie because I did get caught one time and, um, it was right after my grandfather had died and he left, he left his beautiful Chevrolet pickup to my dad. And my dad let me go to a birthday party one night and um, I took, he said, you can take the truck. And I took the truck and I was probably 23, 22, 23 years old. And um, yeah, I took the truck to a birthday party with my best friend and we drank, we drank, we drank, we drank, we drank. And then we left and we went and picked up beer and then we were on our way to go buy cocaine. And uh, I pulled over at a pull off and he had to puke and, um, yeah, I got all of a sudden it was, you know, one thirty, two thirty in the morning, whatever time it was. And the spotlight from the trooper came up and pulled in. He said, is everything all right? Looks like your buddy here is in trouble. And I said, and I'm standing there with a beer between my feet and he's, he's staring at me, you know, and I, and, and we're making eye contact and he said, have you been drinking tonight? And I said, yep. I sure have. And I was out, out of the truck, you know, checking on him and I didn't, didn't even put two and two together, but they couldn't, they didn't catch me behind the wheel. So I wasn't drinking and driving technically, physically. Um, so, you know, he went and got a breathalyzer test and I dung the beer out from between my legs and he came back and I blew a 0.093 and, um, they let my best friend go. And, uh, and I, took a ride in a police car for the first time. And, um, he didn't even look in the truck. I don't know how he didn't. It was booze in the truck and everything and open beers. And I didn't, I don't know how he didn't look, but 
they let me ride in the front seat because it was iced over. The whole place is iced over. And it's a trooper that called another trooper in to give me a, to give me a walk, you know, to, to, uh, I guess the first one was a canine unit. So that'll really sober you up fast as a barking German shepherd hanging out of a police car. And, um, I was walking, the, the police officer was walking me to the car with my hands behind my back and he slipped and on the ice and I leaned forward with, with both my hands and he grabbed on to the middle of my cuffs and I held him up and, and he, and he kind of looked and he got his feet back and he looked at me and just was like, thank you. And, and he says, you know, I'll let you ride in the front. And I said, okay, you know, thank you. And, um, I took a ride to the barracks and I blew a point zero six seven when I got there. Um, I don't know how many beers I drank a lot and, but I just was so seasoned where it was like, I'm okay. And, um, I got a, like a $604 fine. Um, I lost my license for 30 days and, um, but you know what? The biggest thing of all was going home to tell dad what had happened. Yeah. I was going to ask you. On that ride, what were you thinking about your mom and your dad? Uh, I I was like, well, mom, I could always talk stuff out of. You know, I was like, mom is my mom. I love my mom so much, but she's the most understanding and the most lighthearted and the most forgiving. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm somehow I can be able to tell mom, like, hey, this will never happen again. And she'll right. believe me. Right. And then, but my dad, I was just, I was terrified. I said, I don't know. That's the first thing I thought of was how am I going to tell dad yeah. that this truck is now left in a parking lot somewhere I'm not supposed to be at two 30 in the morning that I need to tell him that we need to go get the truck together. Like, how am I going to tell him that? He was so, um, my dad and I certainly got in a lot of fights um, when I was growing up and it caused a lot of stress and a lot of tension sure. um, between him and I. And, um, you know, he was really quiet and he was very, very quiet. And um, he just, I think he said something like, boy, wouldn't your grandpa be proud? <laughs> and I just was like, mm. And it was like the cut, like the deepest cut. And I just was like, man, like, what did I do? And I had to get rides everywhere. And hmm. you'd think something like that of that nature would, yeah. something that big, that heavy would, would, would set in and be like, man, I'm never doing that again and never do it again. Right. Uh, That's what's interesting with that is, you know, when it hits home our parents have a way of just saying the right thing. Yeah. It really sends such a bold message because there's wisdom that we don't want to take yeah. from them. And all they have to do is acknowledge, basically, you know better. Yeah. But obviously this whole story should be, and I don't know if you've started working on a song either, grandpa's truck or mm. riding riding with the popo you know yeah exactly because that's such a country song yeah you, you talk about these other artists but that's that's something merle yeah and johnny you know that's an outlaw type of a yeah song, unless you because of where you're at now bring in that redemption yeah 
element. Uh, of course, those guys did later in their lives, but yeah, fascinating. So yeah, so then, how did you break free from all of that? Um. So I, I mean, this, yeah, the walk continued, you know, and I, I didn't, I kept going, kept going. I was working, everything was great, and then, um, you know, I met Caitlin in 2015. This is your wife. No, no, Caitlin was my girlfriend. And so we had met um, over buying a dog. Actually, I was buying a little Australian cattle dog puppy. And um, she was beautiful. She is beautiful. And and um, this farm girl. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is it. I'm going to get a dog and a wife. Like, this is also a country song, you know. Right. And uh, come to find out, she had a secret addiction also. And she was addicted to opiates and hmm. um and I didn't tell her about my cocaine habit until later. And we spent, you know, a couple months getting to know each other. And then all of a sudden, you know, out came the secret that we both had problems and, uh, what a devastating relationship, you know, what a, what a toxic relationship it turned into. Yeah. And so for the year, February, February, 2015 to February, 2016, we just, we got high and fell into each other and, you know, we did some really bad things and, um, and then, and then she really took on a new role and got lost, um, in the drug world. And, um, she started, you know, uh, selling and it just, it got, it got out of control. She finally, she asked me to leave, you know, she just said, I don't need you anymore. I don't, mm-hmm. we're not working out. Um, and so, so that broke my heart. And, um, but again, this whole time I'm keeping myself right. I'm good. Cause I'm not a full addict, right? Like I can stop. So I'm good. She, she would go, you know, through the weekend partying and all that stuff. And I'm like, ah, I'm just Friday night. That's it. And Saturday's good. Sunday's like great. Never went to church, never had any of that stuff. So I'm like, I'm good. Right. I'm good. Cause I could stop myself. And, um, there was a long period in there after 2016 that I quit doing cocaine. And I just, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, not only is it expensive, but it's also taken my soul and, um, I'm just seeing the destruction, what it did in Caitlin's life. And so I went and bought a house, um, and, uh, continued, continued working in Vermont. Did she blame you? Did, was she blaming you? Was she, yeah. was it one of those ball and chain things? I, just, I, I can't control my life, but I can get rid of yeah. somebody. Yeah. And it, and it was this guy's wanting to be a little bit more sober than me and wanting to be a, like, I'm a hindrance. And so it was like, tisk tisk out of here, get out of my way. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And so I bought a house in 2016 and, um, that's when everything changed for me. Um, I continued working and I had gone down to, I'd been involved working for a wonderful family from Miami. And so I had um, done a bunch of work, stonewall work, and I was managing a farm that they own in Vermont. And um, I was doing a lot of just really hard work, really amazing things, building a lot of stone walls. I built two miles of stone walls in the Florida Keys, like crazy things. And I was just, I was really experiencing a lot of stuff just before I bought that house. And um, so I settled down. I decided I needed to settle down. And so I bought this house and, uh, you know, four acres and it's beautiful little, little home, 800 square feet. And I was drinking there a lot. And, um, but that's when my friend 
uh, from Maryland reached out to me. I had a good girlfriend from Maryland and she reached out to me and she just said, Hey, what are you doing with your music? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, Hey, why don't, you know, why don't you send me a video? Like I'd like to start a Facebook page for you. Wow. And she goes, I'm kind of bored. I'm kind of, you know, whatever. Come to find out God had sent her to me. And, um, I said, sure. So I did a David. I love David Nail. He's one of my favorite artists, country artists. And so I, you know, I did, um, I ain't never seen the sunshine on the Delta. You know, I, like snowfall on the Delta. Like the one that's going to cover all of New York tonight. You know, and so I just, I started, I picked a cover of his. And uh, I just, uh, I think that song's called Mississippi. And I, uh, anyway, I just fell in love with it. And, and, and I started seeing all of a sudden, you know, Selena had posted the, the video started Facebook page. All of a sudden I got likes, I got, you know, views. All of a sudden it was like, people are sharing it. It was like, Whoa, 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 Ben. Like we didn't know you could sing. Whoa, Whoa. Like, this is awesome. Like, Whoa, do another song. Can you do this song? Can you do that song? And so she came up with this idea to do this thing called Fuller Friday. And, um, awesome. Every, everyone, everyone wants to have a Fuller Friday. Right. So it's like, all of a sudden I started taking requests and it just started skyrocketing. Numbers were growing and Facebook was growing and we started Instagram and um, she kind of became my manager. And um, it was really amazing to see where it was going. And this was, um, I guess from 2016 to 2017. And all of a sudden uh, I hadn't even played a show yet. I hadn't even, I hadn't even played a show yet. I've never even played a legitimate show. Right. And so February, 25th my parents anniversary 2017 was my first ever show mm. in front of people mm. and um I was at a little dive bar called Sherry's place and the place was packed wall-to-wall people I had like 300 something dollars in my in my guitar case at the end and I'm like wow and people are like when's your next show I'm like this is for one night only. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not, this is, this is it. I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a one man band. This is it. I'm not doing another show. And all of a sudden bars started reaching out. Restaurants started reaching out. Hey, we heard you pack Sherry. He's like, you want to play here? And I'll play that. And so along with Selena's hard work and, and, you know, me doing full-time stonework, all of a sudden I'm playing shows every weekend. Yeah. And uh, so it started picking up. Well, so did the drinking. So did the shots. Oh my goodness. It's like, you know, and I was staying late and it was like, they'd pay me in shots and beers and free beers on the house on us. Oh, all right, cool, man. I was doing a lot of drinking and driving. I was, I was leaving, I was leaving stupid drunk from places. And uh, after I'd packed my gear and packed my gear up and, you know, I made sure I had beers for the road and beers for the ride home. And I was playing an hour and a half, two hours away from, you know, where I lived and I was driving home. Um, and then all of a sudden it was like people got under my skin and they said, Hey, you know, uh, and so anyway, during this time, my songwriting started, I, I wrote the song, me and Caitlin, I wrote the song, the road to Nashville. Um, I, I started experimenting with writing for the first time, uh, and actually playing and writing. And so instead of just cover songs or making up fake silly songs, I was actually getting serious about it. And, and, uh, enough people told me and said, why don't you go to Nashville? Why don't you move, why don't you move down to Tennessee? Like you should. Hmm. And, um, enough of that coaxing and it almost was everybody else's dream and not my own. Like I was pretty comfortable at home. Um, just, I had a routine, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
I reached out to my realtor and I said, Hey, you know, I'm ready to sell my house. And she said, okay, my house sold in one day, uh, full price offer. And the woman that bought it is from Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm like, well, that's a coincidence. You know, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty neat. Huh? Well, I guess I, I guess that's meant to be, you know, they say that's meant to be. And, uh, I packed everything I owned and, and, uh, what I didn't, I sold and, you know, just like all those songs go. And, and, uh, I drove down to Nashville. I stayed in an extended stay hotel and, um, that's I got it is, you know, why this is crazy is because, why? because this is what God does. God plucks his poets. Yeah. Places where they are living in the United States. And these poets are a lot like King David. David was such an addicted corrupt uh corruptible person mm. you know and yet god just did amazing things through him uh based on what we read but so many of the musicians that have a history of not doing christian music and then they start doing christian music were brought to nashville i was I mean, I built my career out in Salt Lake City. It was thriving, big business. And I was just on the road going up to Cleveland to visit my wife's mother during the holidays. To stop, And I stopped in Nashville just because I'd never been to Nashville. We're driving up to Kentucky and my wife looks at me and goes, did you feel it? I'm like, uh-oh. Mm. And I said, what? She goes, I think we were supposed to go back to Nashville. So we did the same thing. Wow. We packed up a suitcase and stayed in an extended state for a month just to see what God had planned. And it was like within a week, all these people, I didn't know anybody here. Wow. People just started coming into our lives. Wow. And we couldn't just stay out in Salt Lake. We had to be here because of, we saw opportunity to help in a way that we never imagined we could do where we were. And this is what's happening with yeah. you. God is plucking you out of Vermont and bringing you to Nashville, which yeah. you, you want to play a little bit of the uh, dirt road to Nashville? I can. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Why don't you play a little bit of that? And then and let's, let's find out some, some more yeah. when you got here. First thing I've learned is, uh, the first thing I learned when I came down was like how much talent there actually is in Nashville and everybody I ran into was like the best. And I'm like, I was so blown away and I was just like, what am I doing here? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm the star from my hometown. Right. But every single star from every single hometown is here. Right. So anyway, I had I had such a I had such a hard time. It's an eye opener. Snow outside, green mountain high, sliding down a winding road. Out high inside a yellow corn road. 
Hidden quarter size rocks, hidden rusty shocks, and bump into a all sports song. The faster you drive, the smoother ride, knowing you're almost home. But I'll never forget the first time I left. I get that feeling still, riding first class in a dusty seat on my dirty road to Nashville. been told enough, sure know I got the guts, so buckle up and just hang on. See the neon flash, watch the strangers pass, as I'm hooking up my microphone. class in a truck i mean that's yeah that's a great hook man yeah thank you yeah it was really uh it was cool how it came and i guess it was just this nostalgic feeling of like i'm i'm going to a place so unknown and so scary and so i mean there's seven hundred thousand people on nashville there's the same amount of people in the whole state of vermont you know and i'm like i'm headed to a city where there's a whole state you know and i just i couldn't wrap my head around it but i was so excited and so that's what that song really was me it's such a good tune man yeah thank you and thank you it's obviously it's available everywhere you guys um, yeah so go get that tune but thank you so you're in nashville you're playing like crazy <laughs> yeah you're pre-packing the the truck with the beer you're yeah prepped and ready you're gonna have a good time i mean you're living i mean it is the climb you're yeah lifestyle of uh the up-and-coming country artist who indulges in everything offered to them and the adulation is poison yeah how do you yeah. how, so what happens next um so i get a job first thing at uh tootsies and i'm playing downtown you know the honky tonks i'm doing all the thing and um four hour shifts you get paid 40 bucks and you know i'm singing my butt off four hours is a lot i, I you can talk to any singer absolutely it's like screaming for those those of you that don't know it's like 
I don't know, it's like screaming at a football game, you know, and those, your friends come home from a baseball game or a football, basketball game, whatever. And you can't talk the next day. Tootsies and, is, and, it's loud. You got to keep the momentum. You got yeah. energy. You got to keep your voice. I wouldn't do it. You can tell with my voice. I, yeah. It dies. Yeah. I, I honestly, but I sounded like you all the time. Like I, I literally, I couldn't, it, it was so, I fought so many colds, so many, you know, like just, just the, yeah, it was really tough. So I, I did that for five months. You know, I, I made the walk down there with my guitar case and I, and I was just like, Oh my goodness, you know, this is my life. I've made it. When they hired me, I was like, I've made it like, this is it. I'm, I'm down here playing for all the fans. I was meeting people from Nebraska, people from Canada, people from Alaska. I was meeting people from, from, from Hawaii, from, from places I'd never been. I'm just like, dang, this is awesome. All around the world, people all around. And, um, I'm like, this is it. And I'd get a few followers here and a few followers there. And a couple of people look me up here and come, Hey, you're going to make it, man. Dude, you're going to make it, man. You know, and I'd always say, Oh, you're, can, you're going to make it, man. And it's like, man, am I, you know, I don't know. And I was driving home really drunk from those places, uh, four lanes of traffic down 65 South, just stupid. And, you know, I, I, I'd wake up some mornings and not realize where my truck was parked. Mm. And, um, next to a girl that I, you know, didn't, didn't know all that well, maybe, or, you know, did, but really was like, Oh man, why did I mess up this relationship like that? Like, why did, you know, and, and such a, all of them so beautiful and, um, inside and out. And I just, I, I, I was growing really tired. Yeah. I was growing really tired of it. And I met this man by the name of Bob Ezrin. Yeah. And Bob Ezrin produced Pink Floyd and ZZ Top and all the rest. And anyway, so I got I got in to sit with him at his studio. And um, my dad had a friend who's had a friend who had a sister who went to college with him. It was a crazy connection and and uh, AKA God. Um, so I'm done. Uh, but I uh, I got put in the room with him, and he said two things to me. He said uh, I got to play. He hands me this guitar, right, and it's and it's like off the wall no pun intended, but it was, it was the 12 string guild that was on the wall, you know, uh, the out wish you were here, you know, Pink Floyd. And so he hands me this guitar and I, you know, the do, 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 like that guitar. And I'm like, you know, I don't even want to touch the dang thing, but he said, play me some songs. And I did. And, um, and he says, man, you know, he said, you've really got it. You've really got it. But let me tell you what, you're lost on lower Broadway. Hmm. And, and uh, he said, you can't be. Right. If you want to make it any further, you can't be. And then the second thing he said to me was, always go home because they're the ones that made you want to leave in the first place. They're the ones that have been behind you since the beginning. Yep. And I'm just like, and so I started going home more. I started leaving Nashville a lot. I started taking drives home. I started playing bars, restaurants at home, but really being thankful for the the crowd and the family that supported me back home. Um, and so I continued doing that, you know, for another, uh, year. And, um, you would think, you know, and I, I, I left out, I'd left out the part about my best friend dying from heroin overdose in 2017. And, wow. um, I, I, uh, you know, I, you would think that that would straighten me out too. There's all these things. Like I said, you think all these things would get me, would get me on the straight and narrow, would get me figured out because, um, Hey, yeah, this was a really big life event and now I'm going to act better. And I didn't, 
on the surface, you probably loved yourself, but deep in you were hating yourself. It all looked good. I did this thing. I did this thing. Uh, I do my off my chest thing now on the, on Sundays. And I really, it's really therapy, honestly, for me. Um, but, uh, last week's was, um, your outside looks good, but how's your inside? Hmm. And so many of us carry around this, you know, I'm, I'm, how do I, you know, I'm looking, yeah, I look, you know, and inside I was melting. I was dying. Yeah. I was wasting. Um, I was crying. And I had a family down here from Vermont, nonetheless. Also, God had sent, you've heard of being sent rams. You know, God sends rams. God sent this family as a ram down here for me three years. Uh, they've been here for about three and a half years or so, going on four years. And um, they paved the way. They, they found a beautiful church, Church of the City in Franklin. And they had asked me, they knew who I was, obviously, and I'd landscape with their son and um, a little bit in the past. And they just said, hey, Ben, you want to come to church with us? I said, yeah, I'm the guy of opportunity. You know, I'd love that. Probably there's some good looking girls there, too. And I'm just going to, you know, and so I'm thinking of all these opportunities. And I walked through the door at uh, Church of the City, and there was probably 3,000 people. And this was in uh, 2019, yeah. uh, the winter, the fall, winter time, 2019. And um, I'm just like, Chris McClarney was leading worship with John Reddick. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, all of my hope is in the name, the name of Jesus. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. And I'm just like, I tell people that little skeleton key got shoved in my heart and turned and my heart started and it was like something that I can't I can't explain it other than that as my heart started right there and um I was afraid I was scared of it it was like new it was it was like what is this feeling I don't know what this is I think it's bad I think a lot of people are doing it and I don't know why and I and it's new and a lot of people back home are like, you're being brainwashed. You're being told to do things you're not used to. This isn't good. You got to get away from there and you got to get out of here. Mm. Um, there was so much of that. And all of a sudden I, I continued to go on Sundays uh, mornings. And then I got invited to a prayer night and it was like church twice in one day. And I'm like, uh-uh, I don't go to church twice in one day. And uh, I, ended up getting, I, I, ended up, I ended up going. And it was a prayer night and it was so beautiful. And I will never forget the Hispanic couple that came up to join our circle. And I was like inside, I'm like, mm -mm, this is my family and I'm good. Like, I don't, I, 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 nothing against you guys at all, but I don't know you and you're strangers and I'm here and I don't even know what I'm doing here. And, um, Charlie, the father let his hand go out of mine and in came this man, this 40 year old man in his forties. And, uh, he joined hands with me and Hey, Hey brother. And we started praying and, um, uh, Charlie's wife started praying. God, I know Ben's new at this. God, I know that Ben is, is scared. I know that he's, he's afraid. Please come down and meet him here. Welcome him here. He's, he's coming home. Father, all these things. Yeah. The man standing behind me, let go of my hand. He put his hands on my chest. He started praying in Spanish. He started praying in English. 
and my body got so hot and I just, I started crying instantly. And the man that I didn't want to let in my circle, I couldn't get my arms around him fast enough. And there was, it seemed like 25 minutes. I'm sure it was probably five minutes that I held that man and uh, I wouldn't let go of him. And Andy Levine had been a worship pastor in Colorado for 17 years and he was new looking for a church. Yeah. And uh, I was new (laughs) and God had sent him there and to pray with me and to show me there was no difference. And um, that was the first night I'd ever been higher than any of the cocaine. I'd been, been higher than any of the sex, any of the alcohol. It was a night that replaced all that stuff and just, I've never, never been higher. And I, uh, I knew right then that something had changed and all of a sudden my drinking 17 beers a night, went to 13, went to 10, went to eight, went to six, went to four, went to, I've made it two weeks, went back to, I've had six, went back to, I've made it four weeks, went back to, holy cow, I think I've done two months. I stopped seeing women. I stopped, uh, I had a foul mouth. I stopped swearing. Um, I let out a few swears every now and then, obviously, but, uh, I try my best. Thank you, Lord. Um, yeah. And it just, there's a need sometimes Nashville traffic. Sometimes there's a need to let out. But anyway, I, uh, I want to, I want to point out two things here. Yeah. The gentleman that spoke in Spanish and then English, that is the most accurate description of what speaking in tongues is. Because yeah. speaking in tongues is when somebody is doing it in a foreign language and then yeah. their interpretation. Yeah. That is the most authentic way that happens. And secondly, when you're in a circle, you know, and you're holding hands. Mm-hmm. That's the entire human family right there. And God comes mm. down in the middle of it. You know, throughout the Bible, it talks about God being in the midst, in the midst, in the midst, uh, which yeah. is the middle. Um, and it's wow. fascinating to me to hear this because you never experienced that feeling of God's spirit before. No. Not of that. And, and not of that caliber. And I honestly... Um, yeah, I was so clouded. I wouldn't have noticed anyway. I was so, I was so, I was so twisted up and bent on everything else, all the other things that that I was searching for, that I was looking for, that I thought I was going to find comfort in. I was nervous about, you know, all these all these things it meant nothing. And in that moment, uh, everything changed, and I'm talking to you now. Um, one year, two months and 23 days sober. Congratulations, man. (laughs) I just, I'm like, and I, and I, and I don't need, I don't need to per se keep track of the days. Like it's not for me, it's not by the hour or by the day or by the week. It's not like, it's not like I've got to keep that number fresh in my head to know, but I just do because I tell people and I do because it means a lot to me. And I do because I think somebody else might need it. And um, I can't believe that I am, you know, like I said, 
God willing, getting ready to break out in Christian music and speaking and writing with some of the people. I mean, I just wrote a song with, um, I've been writing with Mia Fields. Yeah. I had no idea, but Mia, Mia wrote Reckless Love. She wrote Peace Be Still. She wrote Tremble. She wrote some of the biggest (laughs) Christian songs. And I'm, and I'm, and people like Tony Wood and Colby Wedgworth and, you know, uh, Jacob Suter. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of people that I've been being put in the room with. And I'm so, um, I can't believe it, but I know for a fact that it's because I've completely surrendered my life and I have given up. We, we, we've got a little bit of this song that, that nobody's really heard. And there's a lot of stuff that I, I, um, have would can't wait for people to hear here in the near future but the old me's laying on the ocean floor there's a new man standing on redemption's shore i've been revived oh i've been restored and i can't go back no more no more and it's like yeah yeah this is this is what god has done and um i am out now to tell the story of ryan to tell the story of his addiction, to tell the story of my addiction, to tell the story of me and Caitlin. Um, and, and Caitlin is another one. She's <laughs> her, everything. She died seven, seven different times and she got brought back to life and every single rehab she went to nothing worked, nothing was right. Nothing. She laughed. It was, it was a joke. Um, until she finally got a sponsor that started reading scripture to her. And her prayers changed from God, kill me, God, take my life to God, save me, God, love me, God, keep me. And now she's getting ready to celebrate one year sober on December 22nd. I just can't, I can't make up. And she told me, we just talked, we just talked last night. Yeah. And she said, Ben, I tried everything. I tried every single thing. I tried every single thing. Nothing worked but Jesus. And that's the only thing. That's the only reason why he's the only reason why I'm sober. And, and, and I'm not afraid. Um, I wrote a song with Tony Wood called I belong to Jesus. I've never said that in my life. I belong to Jesus and I don't care who knows. And it's like to come out and say that. Yeah. Johnny Cash said, I just posted this little thing the other day about Johnny Cash saying that, being a Christian isn't for sissies, you know? And it's like, that's one of the things that like so many people think I just came from uh, Montgomery, Alabama yesterday. And uh, I was uh, Saturday. Sorry. I was down there uh, all day event leading worship at a big prison. And um, I've been doing that all over now and, and continuing with COVID even, um, you know, they had me on the outside of the fence, but looking through razor wire fence at these guys and the fact that God can take that fence and separate every single one of those links and bring that thing down. And there's no difference between me and them. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm sitting here telling you that right now that I've seen firsthand those miracles like Caitlin and um, the encouragement that I can't help but share with people anymore. You know, I just, I, I have to, I have to share. Yeah. Uh, I have to share my story. And, and that's what I've told, um, 
so many of the beautiful people that I'm working with now in the music industry and stuff. It's just like, and Mia, you know, Mia told me something I'll never forget. And, and, you know, Nashville's all about songwriting and all about storytelling and stuff. And, and so am I, but she said, once you, once you get the song, you can have the family, your friends, the biggest fan base. You could have a million followers. You could have all the stuff, all the tour buses, all the record labels. You could have everything. But until you get the songwriters behind you, mm-hmm. until you get the songwriters behind you to help you tell your story and to tell your story powerfully, yes. that's when you've got something. That's when you finally have got something because having them behind you means everything. And she, and she told me, she said, I, we're behind you. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it's hard for me to, to take it all in, you know, even, even retelling the story when I retell it like this. It's... Well, it's powerful because God does literally change our hearts. Yeah. And all it takes is just one, experience amidst all our pain yeah where we feel safe we feel secure yeah you know and people ask me what is where do i go what do i do to you know free myself of all this pain where do i go to free myself of addiction and i just i just share them right there yes sir that's it he's in there he's in here yeah this is the greatest sponsor <laughs> you'll ever have amen 12 steps whatever uh <laughs> yeah you yeah. read those one-on-one encounters because he stopped at the woman you know yeah the, well she was an outcast is she not the apostles didn't even want to talk to her because she was a, a different and yeah that, that didn't He's like, no way, I'm talking to her, the leper, everybody that he encountered one by one was to redeem them, but at the same time was to put them into that circle. Yeah. Other people could learn from their story the way we're learning. Yeah. Your incredible story. I'm so excited for you, Ben. There's (laughs) so much that God wants to do. And, you know, we continue to live our lives. We're going to make mistakes, you know, yeah. going to be things that we do still in the future, but you know, we keep going, we keep going. So I just came from prison on Saturday. So I think, you know, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I am extremely thankful and lucky and, and you're right. I don't, you know, it's funny that you, I can't go far. Yeah. I can't go far without it. I, I, I just can't. I've got to have, I take one with me when I write. I, I take, I, I got to have it with me because that's just where I, that's where the answers are. And that's what, you know, and it's amazing. And, and a lot of people tell me, you know, and, and if this could be some encouragement, a lot of people say, you know, have, well, I don't know how to read that. I don't know how to, where to start. I don't even know where to start. Just ask God Just say, Hey God, God, Hey, show me. And that's all I do. Like I'm, I'm literally, you know, and I've been a believer in Jesus fully now for, I, I got, I got uh, November 10th, 2019 is when I got baptized. And it was, you know, some months before that, that I really started believing. And, um, but I'm a really new believer. And so I just asked God, say, Hey, show me, like, I, I don't know. And I literally just grabbed this thing and go, okay, you know, I, I, I I'm, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Like, that I just read it's up, right up, here. Up, and it, up right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's right here. Whoever so believeth and liveth in me shall never die. That's a beautiful. It says it right here. That's John eleven twenty five. Yeah, yeah. And I just and 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 and, and so it's not magic. It's no. Jesus. Yeah, and that's the beauty is you and me and so many of us we we die in our sins because we do not know how to manage ourselves and we need a higher power to take over. And yeah. once we surrender. That's the beauty of it is he starts to just rain down all of these opportunities yeah. to use our gifts yeah. to make the world better. So, so obviously you're going now from the country, you're going to be doing Christian music. Yeah. Hopefully COVID can get over so we can see you at a venue. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think the hardest thing for me is uh, what well, it's becoming a lot more easier. I've had so much peace through this. I've had so much um, rest through this and just, I've been working really hard. We've got some really big things on the way. I'm very, very excited. My manager, um, Crystal uh, Polychronus is just, she's, she's become such a great friend. She's um, taught me so many things. She's a fellow believer from New Hampshire and she took over and she's been managing um, me along with Neil Spielberg, who was Randy Travis's manager yeah. back in the day. And it's like all these. And so, you know, between Neil and Crystal, it's like, I've got this powerhouse team that's just been leading me, um, down the road. And, um, they, yeah, they, they, it's, it's, it's such a family, but that's what I've learned about the body of Christ is it's such a family is that all the promises from people that, that, and friends and, and stuff from, from the past, they used to say things and all this stuff. And it's like, I just had dinner with, with a wonderful uh, uh, black family of pastors and, and just all kinds of wonderful people in, in Alabama the other night. And it's like, we're family. Like you call us if you need anything, brother Ben, yeah. you, you just reach out. And it's like, really? And they mean it. And it's like, and they, and the follow through is, is, unlike any other. And so all the things that I used to rely on, all the things that I used to fall back on and stuff and the drugs and alcohol and the language and, and, um, mistreating women and relationships and stuff. It's just like, wow. Yeah. But he turned my whole life around. And so it's, it's still so hard to, it's still hard to to imagine. I want to play you a little snippet of a song that has that isn't out yet, and um, labels talking about releasing it, and and I don't know, you know, what's going to happen. But I'll I'll play the beginning of it and and into the chorus a little bit. But this just explains where I've come from. I pulled it off the wall and held it in my hands. Cold steel and wood turned a boy into a man. But I held the hammer back, fingers all red from the rust. And I knew exactly where daddy hid the shells from us. My hands were shaking oh so bad. I could hardly hold that gun. I shoved around into magazine. It was my last chance to run. 
This is a cry for help, and I'm crying out loud. Help me understand when I let it go, and it hit the ground. It turns out God had other plans. And he had other plans for me. And that was a true story, you know, and I, I, uh, I had, a, I had a gun in my mouth when I was 16 years old, you know, and, um, I can't, I can't play this song enough. And, um, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It makes a lot of, um, people turn away. It makes a lot of people go, wow, whew. but you know what? They're feeling something. And, and a lot of people I found now suicide rate is crazy. Um, especially now, but a lot of people I've found have been there and music is, is, um, such a release and such a way. And I mean, I didn't even realize I used to drive around and cut myself to, uh, to rock music. And, um, turns out it was Christian bands, POD, Mm -hmm. uh, 12 stones. I used to ride around thinking I was mad and upset at the world and all this stuff. And God was there the whole time. He was right there the whole time. I had no idea. Like he was sitting right in the passenger seat of that truck with me. When I got pulled over with Ryan, when all, all those times, every single time when I thought I was alone, he was there. And I, I, I just want to be an encouragement to everybody listening that, that, um, that he is there. And all you gotta do is ask. And it's like, so many people are so afraid to ask for something, but, you don't, you, you don't receive it if you don't ask for it. And so, um, I can't beat anybody over the head with this. I've tried. It doesn't work, <laughs> but, it, but, uh, it, it, it gets people's hearts pumping and it gets questions aroused. And it's like, um, I don't know. There's a lot of stigma around this thing. And, um, we wrote a song, which I'm really excited for everybody to hear also in the future with Mia. And, um, it's called this book. And, uh, the hook in there is the, the hook in there is this book will change your life. And, um, I'm really excited because it's changed mine. I think the I think the main reason people disassociate from the Bible is because they connect it to a organized religion that has in some way, because of their imperfections, uh, leaders are imperfect that it, it causes some families to be torn apart that really, yeah sometimes tears families apart. So they blame the Bible and then, but um, my hope is, you know, through your music, through my music, through all these artists that God is working through that we can show who Jesus truly is and that he's not a divider, that he is a uniter. He does come after record store. Yeah. Those that are broken, you know, we are broken miracles. Yeah. That's what's so beautiful. So Ben, where can people, uh, where do you like people to go? Do you have, you have a website clearly? Yeah. Um, websites, uh, www.bendfuller.com. D is in David. That's my middle name. Um, and then Ben Fuller music on Facebook. Um, I've been getting tied up with a really lot of amazing, um, pages like wins, wings of encouragement, Um, and lots of just beautiful, um, helpful, um, pages for recovery. And, um, I am so blessed for everybody that's been hanging on to this ride with me and, um, where it goes only he knows. So 
But I, I'm thankful for you, Paul. Thank you for taking the time out to just to help help me and help God put on your heart that that we needed to make this happen. And I just I'm I'm really grateful. Well, on behalf of American Songwriter and uh, All Heart, we are grateful that you came on the show. You are a man of of a lot of talent. You're going incredible places. God is using you. Clearly, you're a person who is all heart. So thank you, Ben, for being on the show. Everyone who's listening, please go check out Ben Fuller's website. It's bendfuller.com. And uh, go download some of his music while he's out milking cows. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, buddy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Talk to you later. Okay. We'll see you. Hi, my name is Noah James. I'm an actor and a voice artist. Um, I'm currently inside because it's frozen out in Texas where I'm filming uh, for season two of The Chosen. But right before I left to film, I recorded the narration for the audiobook The Broken Miracle. And it's written by J.D. Netto. It's inspired and based off the life of Paul Cardall, who is an internationally acclaimed uh, songwriter and pianist. And it's essentially the story of how he was born with half a functioning heart, required surgery immediately throughout childhood, and then it mirrored, the book follows his life as an adult and as a child and sort of how those um, dueling narratives kind of interweave with each other. And it's a a really beautiful story about family, um, love, about staying strong in the face of of unbelievable adversity and um it's it's a really special story and i'm i'm so excited it it just came out on audible so i'm super excited for you all to listen and if you do let me know what you think all heart with paul cardall goes beyond the typical interview podcast to dive deep into life's biggest issues. With his second chance at life, the pianist wants to give people hope and a sense of calm through his music. Beyond that, he is seeking to shine a light on the powerful voices of others. His guests truly define what it means to be all heart. They share with us what drives them, what keeps them carrying on in the face of adversity, and how they strive to do their best and make the world a better place. Paul is proud to share his conversations with you here on the American Songwriter Podcast Network.